<laughs> All right. So here we go. I'm sure I had it and I lost it. No worries. Standard of my life. I love editing, by the way. I can edit all this out. We're going to be like so smooth. Why uh, would Welcome to another potentially useful episode of the TCAP Sloop podcast. My name is Larry Burden and joining me is our always loquacious technologist, David Noller. And he spent the last year deeply questioning his life choices. It's Evan Obranovic. Before cutting into this week's meat of the show, we must start, as always, with a moment of zen. Equality is leaving the door open for anyone who has the means to approach it. Equity is ensuring there is a pathway to the door for those who need it. All right, so that's a nice little framing device for um, our discussion today. Our first two podcasts of the year have discussed the, you know, the flexibility that we've had to show over the interesting times that we've had. Um, and I think this is kind of still going in that um, in that direction, but maybe a little more specific into um, what we've learned about virtual learning um, in the virtual environment and maybe virtual learning, e-learning, what's the, what, what is the correct term for that uh, distance learning? What, you know, I, I guess I'd, I'm gonna defer to you guys. What did, we, what did we learn about that environment through last spring going into this year? And I guess, what is the correct terminology? I think last year, uh, as it started, we were very adamant to call it emergency remote teaching and learning because, <laughs> <laughs> because it was all thrown together rather quickly and everyone was trying to do their best to figure it out. And it was very much an emergency. Um, but I like the remote. I don't know. Yeah, maybe David's got some some strong opinions or how he's heard it framed. But I like the remote learning and remote teaching because I feel like that kind of uh, does it virtual. I don't know, I just get that feeling of virtual reality, which we're not quite there yet. I don't have the Oculus headsets for everyone to really get immersed in everything. You know, I, surprisingly, maybe I'm, I don't have a strong opinion on what to call it. In Back in the spring, we called it, uh, as you said, emergency remote teaching, because that's what we were doing. That's what we were doing. And I feel like our kids kind of responded to it in a way that was also emergency remote learning that uh, they didn't quite know what to do. They were kind of running around, um, unsure of what the expectations are. And the contrast to that, to this fall, during the first two weeks when we started, when we had high expectations, and we established that this is not last spring, this is a, this is a new time. Um, I think the kids responded to that. Uh, I, I teach an 11th grade language arts class and had great results in there. Um, regardless of the location, whether it was remote or in the classroom, they responded to the expectations, which I think is great. Now, in terms of another label we could put on it, we might bring up Jamiroquai's classic virtual insanity for how crazy it can get sometimes. Um, because it, it does. It's difficult with kids that are of varying levels of, of ability with using a digital device. Sometimes there needs to be a little bit more shoulder to shoulder with that student. And that's gonna be harder if they're not with us on a day-to-day -day basis. But hopefully we're getting some idea, some idea of who those kids are now when we can work shoulder to shoulder with them and get them comfortable with using those digital tools in the face-to-face -to -face classroom so that if we need to go remote again, 
they're not suffering that virtual insanity that might otherwise, you know, make it more difficult. Yeah. I told you the, I could do it. it yeah, I nailed it. It's the great <laughs> irony, though. I think, like you pointed out, you almost you have to have a student in front of you face to face to effectively then teach them remotely. So especially when you're talking about all the tools that you're tr we are trying and many places are trying to implement, um, it, it was a feeling of this can happen. We have a lot of the things in place. We know our teachers are, are highly qualified. You know it would make this really easy if the kids was sitting in front of me so I could talk them through what they need to do on said computer <laughs> and do for remote learning, which in and of itself provides a problem. So it, it's been a... a a really um, interesting kind of development as we've tried to do that and bring in new tools that this district has uh, with an LMS um, learning management system and the same kind of feeling though it's like if I want a kid to really feel successful using this and I want the teacher it, it would be really helpful if they had that time to still ask the questions of one another work with it in an environment where they can still turn next to their neighbor or to their teacher and be like is this what I'm supposed to be seeing is this working the right way because those glitches are always inevitable. And then I think that just, you know, it exponentially increases the stress when you can't do that and you have a student at home who's struggling and they're understandably getting frustrated and then the teacher doesn't necessarily have the right things or tools to, and there's never the perfect set to troubleshoot that. So yeah, to me, I just, I keep going back to that of, of yeah, remote teaching can be really successful <laughs> in learning. Uh, it really helps when they're not remote though. That's what makes it the most successful. Yeah, and, and a lot of these tools that we're handing the kids, if they're not useful to you in a face-to-face -face classroom, they're not going to be helpful to you in a, in a remote setting either. When I do, this morning we had some peer editing um, happening in the room, and we used just simply Google Drive for sharing those documents back and forth, and we used the online commenting feature. If I'm not practicing that in the classroom, my kids aren't going to know how to do that when we have to do it remotely. But furthermore, having that practice and having that tool available is a good learning device for those students to use because it puts uh, it gives them unlimited space to make comments to the uh, person that they're editing. They, they're not limited to just the space that's in the margin. They can highlight. There's all these different tools of interacting with the text. And that's why that tool is useful, not necessarily just because it's good as a remote learning tool, but because it's good as a learning tool. I am trying super hard to keep my answers short because I know it's talking too much. <laughs> oh, please, please. Again, you're the loquacious one. Um, yeah, I heard that. I like that word. <laughs> Was, were you guys surprised last spring as far as, I guess, you know, showing some humility? Were you surprised at some of the things that weren't as effective as you thought? And were you surprised at some of the things that were? I felt like there was a lot of um, kind of going back to it. We had a tool in place that was being used already face to face in Google Classroom. So that's a big example of a tool that we use for learning, whether or not they were sitting in front of the class or at home. And so there was a feeling, including myself, of that pivot would hopefully be rather easy. We knew we had some people who maybe not be well, super well versed in classrooms, so we'd have to handle that. But um, it just seemed like it's like, okay, this is gonna be weird. And this is obviously very different um, with the students. And we have a lot of unique cases, but we, we have a setup in a sense of, of how to try and pivot towards this. Um, and I was surprised that I think because of a lot of the external factors and then obviously access, which is a huge thing, 
uh, students' ability and even teachers uh, in our district to have reliable internet. Um, but just the, the roadblocks that came up, um, even when you had something like that in place. So I can only imagine some of those uh, other districts or other places that were trying to start that even for the first time when they jumped to remote and how difficult that could be. Because again, it's like, it's just surprising at what base I think we kind of had. And just what I'm talking about with our, even our new LMS, you know, we want to get in front of them and, and have this base and learning it so that if we do go remote, I just had that feeling it always, you know, there always is the stuff that comes up and just your plans, your best laid plans are never quite going to uh, be exactly what happens. And so it was surprising and interesting dealing with all that and trying to make sure everyone's in a place where they're at least comfortable to get some learning done. I think we're in a better place policy-wise. Uh, not only were we in a emergency remote teaching model, we were also in an emergency remote, what do we do with grades model. And I felt last year like I was going to be, it was going to go great because I had relationships with my kids. I was teaching interesting classes. It was mythology and sociology and my kids loved my classes and they were interested. And I thought, great. They already know classroom. They already know how I do things. We'll get together at these meets. Um, I'll answer questions. I've got videos set up for them to watch and I've got study guides. It's going to be great because they like me and they'll they'll come along because they'll do it as a favor to me. Nope. They found out that they could get a 60% as a semester average and still get credit. And a lot of them bailed. And I am not holding that up as a blame or a pointing finger at all. As we said, emergency remote, what are we doing? Um, but that kind of expectation change affected student participation. And that's what I, one of the things I mean about talking about what happened this fall, we didn't, we had a different mindset. So the remote teaching combined with a growth mindset rather than a keep your head above water, survive mindset, maybe, um, that remote learning with a growth mindset is going to have a positive impact. When you think about it, again, with a sense of humility um, and a growth mindset, we look at where our students actually were as yeah. far as developing that growth mindset. And clearly yeah. we weren't where we wanted them to be. I had about 15 non-seniors in my mythology class. Um, and so the non-seniors, once this hit, we're like, okay, seniors, you're done. I would only get eight to nine on any given day in a Google meet. I would only get between seven to nine turning in stuff. Didn't matter if I called, emailed, begged, pleaded. That mindset just wasn't there in that particular moment. But I don't think that's the way it would ever be again with what we have planned and what we've got training going on and how we have adapted since then. So what are the, some of those adaptations? Well, I think part of it is just that that change in philosophy of we don't we're ready now. Like when this first happened, it was you guys are not having school after tomorrow. Right. Um, it was a essentially 24 hours notice. Um, we now know that we could enter into that phase at any point. We're now aware of that. And uh, from the teacher level to the principal level and higher, we know that when that happens, we will go into a virtual model. We will continue to have high expectations of our students. We will continue to have those standards that need to be met. And that's going to, we're just going to be doing school in a different space, in that virtual space. 
Um, and that is a huge difference from what we saw um, last last spring. Yeah, the expectation oh, is huge. With it, like David said, I just think that we're all planning on what that looks like. Um, and so with that, when you have those plans in place, it gives you a sense of comfort. And I think it gives everyone a sense of purpose and direction, which does help, um, like we said, where, where everyone's at, where, where, where we're feeling comfortable, what our groundwork looks like, and then how successful that's going to be when we do have to knock on wood, hopefully not in a large scale, but go back to remote learning with, with a class, a school. And those are the other things, right? We're, we're preparing for any of those scenarios. And so as you you know have that preparation it, it just really helps feel like okay there's there's a, a level of comfort with everyone and everyone knows the situation and they know kind of timelines with that that to me is huge because that's what we didn't have when we did that in march it started as two weeks that's what i originally thought oh we got mm -hmm. two weeks all right this is going to be interesting and then it became mm -hmm. rest of the year and that was what led to the challenge of of how much do we do? How much do we change? How much do we offer? It's two weeks. Well, it's another week. Well, it's another two weeks. Well, okay, see you in September. <laughs> so that was difficult. Now we know uh, if something happens and we're going to be down, we're okay, I think, in terms of how, how long are we going to be down? It kind of doesn't matter. We can keep moving forward with the tools that we have. And under those circumstances, you know, going, you're thinking about empathy, it might not have been a bad thing. Understand having an understanding of where the students were actually at in their in their mind space and their mental space. You know, having a less rigorous uh, and structured plan might not have been the worst thing for them because they had some external things to work through as well. It was a sure. weird time going into this year. What are some of the concrete things that we did? You know, obviously we knew the, the, what the environment was going to be. We had more time to prepare. What did we do with that time? In preparation and what are we doing uh going forward one of the most important things we can do is get our teachers talking to teachers to get on the same page as we're learning these new tools um these ed tech tools what are some of the things we are doing in in that preparation process i think we're really trying to focus on when now that we have the ability to be face to face in a certain sense. Um, what kind of training, like we just said, can we do? What kind of help and support can we provide? Um, doing that from the nuts and bolts perspective of, of technology, even having someone live answer our support desk to start getting people comfortable and prepared is huge. Um, so having some of those, I guess, older, older, but past practices in place, even to be able to be addressed in the new environment or if we have to change things up has really helped people's comfort level. And a lot of preparing, you know, again, kind of on the logistics side of things, do all the students have devices? Do we have enough devices for them? And then the connectivity thing is huge. So looking at, you know, we've purchased and, and found several different options for getting internet service, none of which are bulletproof. So you have to constantly reevaluate that. Um, but we have a large population and say easily about 15% uh, who just don't have reliable home internet. And that's a game stopper <laughs> when it comes to trying to do any of this. So if you can't address that very basic need, uh, I can give them 20 Chromebooks, but if none of them can connect uh, to the internet, they're, they're paperweight. So you know, really trying to, you know, one of my focuses 
because in addition to supporting David on the training stuff, but it's just logistically is everyone ready to go so that if David or any teacher has a meeting with a class, if they turn it on, can everyone at least participate or start that conversation in whatever format it is? The 15%, you know, you could say 85% connectivity is great. Um, 15% of, of our students that do not have reliable connectivity, that's suddenly, if we're talking about each student, 15% is a big number <laughs> um, or will lead to that being a big number. The other word that you said was reliable. Um, it's, it's one thing to have connectivity. It's another thing to have reliable connectivity. That's a huge hurdle for a student because if they're not, and a parent, um, if halfway through a Google Meet, your internet goes out, you know, that lesson is done. It's and over. they're going to be frustrated and they might not want to come back. Right. Um, that's that, and that's, that's something that, we're, that would be a real, real struggle. What do you do as an educator, David, when, when you're experiencing that lack of reliability, when, when you see a student struggling with that? That's where um, relationships are super important between the teacher and the students. There's times I can leverage a relationship um, and ask a kid to watch a recorded meeting. But I will say, here's the part you really need to focus on. Because if it's a 50-minute class and he's kind of in and out, I can send him a recording and say, yeah, I really need you to focus on this part because this is when um, this is when you dropped out or this is the part that has the most significant content. Now, if I have a good relationship with that kid and that kid is somebody who likes to work for me in the classroom, that kid is more likely to do that for me, essentially. <laughs> um, I don't think we have a, a ton of students who are in that kind of middle to low ground that are going to be independently motivated to say yes to that without that personal relationship. I think our high flyers are going to beg you for the recording so they can get what they missed and, and move on. The other thing that I think is important is making sure that we're tying any communication that we have with our kids, if we're going to say, hey, I noticed you missed this last part of class, we talked about X, Y, and Z, that we're tying that to a reason that they need or should want that information, whether it's, uh, I don't want you to get behind, um, uh, and not, not necessarily about an assignment, but about care for the kid. And again, that's about that relationship issue. Um, I noticed you're having difficulty connecting. Is there anything we can do to help you? Have you tried calling the, the TCAPS family helpline? Um, I think having our staff know that and be more aware that some of these supports exist would be helpful for when they start to feel frustration. Uh, if they think that there's somebody out there willing to help them. Uh, and I don't know that all of our staff understand that these things exist. It's an awareness issue. Uh, so in communicating with students, I, I try to let them know that <laughs> it's funny because it's kind of a pattern. Hey, I'm sorry you you dropped connection or I had a student this week who was out. So he and I would hold a Google Meet. We did it on uh, Tuesday, Tuesday and Friday. And, and he would email me the other days and with like on Tuesday, I checked in. Hey, how you doing? What's everything? You know, just kind of a personal check in. Let him know what we did to set up some content. He'd email me on the other two days and let me know if he got it done or didn't. And frankly, both times it was like, yeah, I haven't gotten to it yet. And then Friday we checked in one more time to say, 
here's what I need you to focus on this weekend before you come back on Monday. Um, it's really important because when we come back on Monday, we're going to be doing X, Y, and Z. And if you don't have this, you're going to get behind on that. And I really don't want you to be in that position. That communication is always you and I. It's about you and I. It's not about the content. The content's mentioned, but it's about you and I. I don't want you to fall behind. I'm sorry this is a, a challenge for you. How can I help you? And then the content's just the thing that we talk about, right? And Andy uh, Phillips mentioned this, you know, and I think it's just basically agreed upon. Good teaching and learning is good teaching and learning. And it's about the relationships. Yeah. And the just end. because you're virtual or, or whatever we're calling it distant doesn't mean that those relationships can't be developed. Um, they're harder to start. We saw that in the first two weeks. It's harder to start a relationship virtually. But I feel like if we went back right now into some sort of virtual condition, my kids in my first hour, maybe there's some who just are never going to like me, <laughs> but I, we've got a relationship now built up that we're okay. We've got an understanding. Uh, I feel like we would be all right. Evan, how do you target, if there's a student that is struggling with access, how does how does the tech department target that student? How, do, how does the teacher or student notify the district that, okay, we have a problem here with access. And then how do those wheels work and what would we do? We really rely heavily on the teacher, right? The front line to try and pinpoint that they have a student who might be struggling with that. Um, and then try and funnel that up through the chain, so to speak, so that their principal's aware and trying to get, you know, at this point we have tried to tackle it by building to see if we can just gather that that group so that we can then reach out to them. We have a district-wide family helpline that we created based on this, which has been a whole nother fun ball of wax of, of becoming support. You know, we're already supporting our teachers, rightfully so, and then the students via those teachers during a school day. Uh, and then we kind of turn the switch on to being like, we really need to help the families as they're home with Chromebooks and this doesn't work or that. So we created uh, a helpline the tech info email, infamous tech info email uh, that you uh, can put a question to and get a response. We even have a phone number set up and manning that. And so trying to have that be the hub has been the goal because you get too many people mixing around and then names are going to get lost. You know, students are going to they get mentioned and unless we can centralize it. So we've tried to work it up through there, but we really want the buildings, meaning those teachers and the principals, to give us their feel because they have those relationships like David mentioned. And it's a little arbitrary and distant for me or just anyone at Saban or within the tech department separately to contact and just be like, you have issues. I, you know, it's like, oh, we've been talking, you understand it. Can we provide you with, you know, what of our options are? It, it varied at the beginning of the closure. Uh, there was even options to contact, um, you know, their providers. Uh, and get extensions on data plans and all that to the the very real need once we got the supply in to be like we have you know tangible hotspots that trying to cover in the areas that work and so then when we mark that down we just right now it's it's just as if you have a need we will provide you know said material for that need so there's there's not a lot of questions we don't do a lot of qualifiers there's not something you have to prove to me right i don't need you to to show me how bad your internet is to just, 
we we are trying to remove that barrier. And so once we get that kind of confirmation, that's why we kind of do rely on the principals and the teacher. Yeah, this student's struggling. It's like, great, let's get them in here or get it to them and see if that resolves it. And we've gone through a variety of troubleshooting with that. And so, and then just take note like we would with a Chromebook so that we just know they have whatever you know tool we're providing them uh, that can come through. But it's been very open-ended, but I think that's a good thing right now of just, here's what you need use it for as long as you need to use it in order to accomplish all these things in our very weird environment and then we'll handle it uh at the follow-up so we're just trying to wait and see some so what's happening but as so long as we keep getting requests which we have and they've slowed down a little we're just going to keep trying to address them so we can meet and then at the end have a record because that was part of it how many kids do you have total everyone was asking every district that are struggling it was like, I, I can put out a survey, but that doesn't seem very smart because a survey based on internet access <laughs> probably is not going to get me the best results for who's lacking. Um, so it's going to be on us, like I said, kind of keeping good records and doing that. So I can give an accurate number and we can try and address that on a much larger scale because they're even looking at what the state can do, right, um, for providing that access. And that's going to be the ultimate solution. The hotspot isn't. It's a good Band-Aid. I'm guessing you have your your feelers out around in other districts in the area and or across the state, what are other districts doing to, uh, to attempt to bridge the digital divide? Uh, it's a lot of that. So, you know, hotspots became a super hot commodity, so to speak, and we're sold out everywhere uh, trying to get those just because of their flexibility, ease of distribution, right? And then if they're in a good service area, some semi-reliable connection uh, the other districts who have the connections have reached out to certain providers and even helped facilitate getting, you know, the the proper equipment and lines run to get them an actual reliable broadband connection. Um, that one's a little difficult for us on the on the scale that we're at, uh, and it depends on on different areas, right? Like there's uh, one district that just hotspots aren't even really a viable option because the cell service everywhere around there is is awful. And so that's why they've had to really dig a little deeper, so to speak, and be like, what can we do with the, the providers, the ones who are running these hard lines to really help these families who hadn't really thought about it or worried about it up until this point. And, you know, it goes from anything of that to there's still some qualifiers out there, thankfully, for reduced or even free service if they are in an area that provides. So we've tried to direct the families that way and continuing down that path, but we definitely need a larger, I don't know, mandate is the right word, but just kind of uh, word from up high on how we can address this, right? And and it truly needs to go to the federal level, but at this point, I'll settle for the state to to really try and help us and dive into how are we gonna you know, provide some of this connectivity and do a real solution, like I said. Uh, it doesn't necessarily help to say, oh, you can come into this parking lot and there's free Wi-Fi. I mean, I don't I don't want any parent and their three kids sitting in the back of the van uh, and doing all their homework. So it's like, that's a great like emergency remote teaching idea. That's not a actual permanent solution. And so we, we're gonna need their support. You know, we, we're gonna patchwork it together, but it, it has to be a larger, because we're talking infrastructure, basically. Um, how about you, David? Um, what are what are you as a teacher? What are you seeing your colleagues do to help bridge that digital divide? I think they're taking on more of the challenge of learning some of the things that are available um, and sharing experiences uh, with those tools in the classroom. 
they're a little bit more willing to experiment and to take risks and to try things. We have a great network of people who are willing to share what they know. You know, um, Andy Bauman is a great uh, advocate of of media tools for um, learning world languages. He's a Spanish teacher down at West Middle School. Um, Dustin and Emily Worm have been great about sharing their expertise expertise in Brightspace, um, and they've been great advocates for the kinds of things that it can do. I'm sort of a I want to say lifelong, but I guess the life of it long uh, Google Suites guy. Um, I was using it with students here at West before TCAPS had adopted it. I don't know if I was doing something wrong, but we were doing it. Uh, I probably saw it at a McCulloch conference and said, that would be great. Let's do that thing. Um, so we have a lot of teachers in the district who um, are willing to share whatever level of expertise they have. And um, I think we as a tech department have been encouraging those people to go ahead and do that, to share that expertise, because that leadership doesn't necessarily always have to come from the ed tech coaches um, or from the tech department. It can come from the teachers that are on the ground that are using these tools saying, here's how I used it. I've had a number of teachers in my career, like uh, Tech Ready and Kate Hansen and some other ones who have told me. I hate technology. And I said, okay, what is it you're trying to do? And they would tell me, and I would say, okay, think about maybe doing it this way. And so Tech Ready became one of my early adopters of uh, Google Docs back before we were just getting started. And he saw the power of the ability to provide revisions and sharing documents and all that. Um, he became an advocate for me. And when Tech was on board, a bunch of other people followed him. Uh, Kate Hansen uh, initially hated Moodle, didn't want anything to do with it. Remember Moodle? Try to forget. And, no, I don't. And used to write all of her vocabulary terms for Spanish on the board every day. I'd be like, why don't you just make a presentation in a Microsoft PowerPoint and then post it on Moodle and then you can show it in class and then you don't have to, you know, back in the day. And then all of a sudden, once they see how something makes life easier for them or more productive, they want to then share that with the people who do a similar work. One of the things that we do, I think, as a department that's productive is encourage other people to share their expertise. Go ahead, Evan. No, I, just, I was going to agree and say at this scale that I don't think there's any other effective way to do that, too. So just like David said, if you are completely relying on the tech department to show you the way, um, you're going to be perpetually uh, kind of behind and probably frustrated because, you know, those teachers and all of them who have other experiences. And again, the tool should just be facilitating what they're trying to do in the classroom, not, you know, this is really cool. Uh, as we know, like that's always a draw for people. And that's what we tried to push away from even during the emergency remote, because every company was like, try this, this is great, try this, uh, and flooding inboxes. And so people, and I got a couple of those forwarded emails from some teachers like, oh, have you heard of this? Like, is this a really good, should we implement this? It's like, you have a wonderful uh, tool in Google Docs. I would really love for you to focus on using what you have. So one, it's not too overwhelming for you. And two, we have uh, so many people, like we were saying, who are just experts with that. And so that's just really important to me and something that I rely heavily on because I don't think we'd be nearly as successful as we were if it was just 
us trying to figure it all out and pass it down. It's like, what information is out there? What can we gather and then redistribute and reuse the experts that we have? One of the most powerful tools a teacher has is unsubscribe on the inbox. Oh. <laughs> unsubscribe. That's my favorite thing. Unsubscribe. That's 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 your powerful tool right there. Yeah. Um. So we we are we're about ready to wrap her up. I did want you know, and I've kind of recognized that um, Brightspace D2L and um, Up North Virtual were things I wanted to hit on, but we're going to save those for another pod. I have a feeling that they can be they can be a whole another pod for sure. Yep. Absolutely. So we'll get to that later. Is there anything else you guys wanted to uh, close on? Last any any famous last words? Oh, that's too much pressure. Uh, and David is quiet. That's crazy. I know, right? Well, I'm kind of, I keep waiting. I don't want to, I'm waiting for him to pipe in so that I could just feed off his energy and say something brilliant after. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, I, I did a training yesterday uh, on getting sort of a, a basic level of where we need to be uh, just in case something happens. So I talked to West Senior High staff about Brightspace with a link to Google Classroom. and. Sometimes, you know, I, I mentioned this the other day to a friend of mine that when we are taking these giant projects that we have to, we know that by the end of this, we are going to be fully embedded into things like Brightspace. It's going to be a thing that we're all going to be doing and we're all going to be using. It's going to be a daily thing. But right now, it's so massive. But every climb up Mount Everest, here comes the cliche, every marathon starts with. One step. Yep. Ah, there you go. So it's Ooh. cliche, but it's also in this case, it's it's true. Like our, our teachers, I think, see this mountain to climb and go, I can't get up there. But we've got to have the grace in the district and the patience and the and the, the planning and the training to help them just get one step today and one step tomorrow and another step in April with yeah. several hundred behind them at that point, hopefully. But you are where you are. Yeah, I think David said it pretty well. It's like there's so many people all over the place and that's not a bad thing. And I think everyone and we try and perpetuate that message. It's OK. It's OK that somebody's at base camp and somebody's at camp three. And so we will get everyone there. Um, <laughs> yeah. Continue I on with that. <laughs> so and we want to get everyone there and we don't want to punish or make anyone feel like, you know, this has to happen at this certain point. It's like, we need it to happen. And sometimes that patience um, gets forgotten by all parties. And so we really just want to bring that back and be like, it's okay. Some of this is probably not going to work great. Some of this we're going to have to massage and bend. And we do want to be flexible and customize it to what these needs are, but that's going to take a lot of patience and just an, an okay feeling with that, which is very tough to do. I, I know I have a problem with that. It's like, it's okay. It's like, you start shaking a little bit, but it's like, it is okay. It's okay to be there. And so we got to be comfortable with where we're at. So I'm going to, I'm going to close it out with a little, little moment of mindfulness um, from Jesse Jackson. Uh, never look down on anyone unless you're helping them up. Love that. Um, any, do we have a tech tool of the week? Shouldn't it just be bright space? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think, no, I don't have one right off the bat. I think what we will find is we're going to be able to merge and do things. So it might root or stem out of Brightspace, um, but there's going to be a ton of stuff. And so people need to keep looking for that. But yeah, there's there's so many out there. I'm still got stuff in my promotions inbox for what free trials I can get, hold my hands on. 
<laughs> going into tutorials and updates, we had a really great presentation in our last board meeting on Brightspace from uh, some of the um, educators that um, mm -hmm. you had mentioned that's, earlier. And I'm actually going to cut that out. I think, you know, as we're having this conversation, I'm thinking this, thinking about this, I'm going to crop that um, portion out, trim it out and uh, maybe put it somewhere, share it with you guys and see if you guys want to use it um, as a tool. Cause I thought that was pretty, pretty darn well done. Yeah, that'd be great. So speaking of tutorials and updates, um, you had mentioned it earlier, Evan, uh, TCAPS tech help site uh, for staff to staff support and TCAPS 247.com for student and parent support. Did you want to share those numbers? Yeah. So if uh, you're doing the student support, it's tech-info at tcaps.net is the email address. And it's the phone number 231-933-3328 is the phone number that you can call. Leave a voicemail because we don't have enough staff to hit it live, but we are checking those diligently. And our uh, technicians assistants mainly have been just rock stars, clearing as many as 300 some requests a day. So we are reading them. We are getting back to you. It's it's pretty incredible. And then the staff, they should be using their their standard channels of support tickets and and our support desk, um, which they're very familiar with because we brought that back. Very much seeing the need to do that, and we want to keep those elements in play because we've seen how important they are to kind of not only the operation, but just the psyche, I think. <laughs> People feeling like they have someone with their back who's going to walk them through some. And going back to empathy, please have empathy for our uh, our tech support staff because yes, they're trying. Patience, patience <laughs> travels to that too, please. I will. We will have the patience with you. Throw a little bit back our way. That's all I'm asking. <laughs> there we go. Um, uh, one final question. Is there any ed tech tool you tried last year that you can't live without this year that's not for you guys that's for our our listeners so feel free to respond to us on twitter with your answer to that question that would be great in closing follow us on facebook or twitter at tcaps loop i'm going to you david oh uh at technologist and you evan at evan obranovic all right i stepped all over stuffy last week so i was <laughs> not going to do that Subscribe to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Downcast, Overcast, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or wherever else you get your ear candy. Like the podcast. Leave a review on iTunes. It really does help get the pod out there and get people to notice it. Um, and we love hearing from you. So uh, thanks for listening and inspiring.